And so this is Just Talk Radio, uh, Just Talk, the Just Talk podcast. I'm Essentino Lewis. I'm Leslie Copeland-Toon. And, uh, and we're glad to be with you today. Uh, we were talking on, on the last show about uh, race relations in this, era, in this era of Trump, and we kind of had to shut it off a little bit because we were going long, but we're picking it back up because we ended up on this conversation about what to really do about the racial climate that we're in. And I think that's really the seminal question that we've got to ask because we can all acknowledge that there are challenges now, but what do we do? And I think one of the discussions about this was that, to say it plainly, fixing this problem is not really a black person issue. Like there's only but so much black people can do to really change the systems and the culture and the climate of this nation. One of the things that I have uh, said before that is in order for this situation to get better, our white brothers and sisters need to get comfortable with the notion that whiteness is under attack. Um, And when I say whiteness is under attack, what I mean by that is that the systems that have upheld as the standard white as right, white as uh, normative are being torn down in a, in a way and in a speed that is perhaps new in this era. That there's a kind of a progressivism that is elevating people of color, women, policies that support people of color in a way that, that many white people are just not comfortable with. And so it makes them feel like they're personally being attacked when it's not a personal attack, it's an attack on the system that has held up whiteness as normative. Tell me what you think about I don't, that. I don't like the word attack <laughs> because <laughs> I'm like, lynching was an attack. Okay. You know, attack suggests to me violence, okay. right? Although I know that's not what you mean when you say attack. Oh, I, I mean that. I mean, I think the systems, I hope that the systems are violently being attacked. I would love it if, if, Systems that have held into place, you know, our criminal justice system that keeps black and brown people incarcerated at numbers and rates that are that white people just are not systems that keep people of color from being able to afford homes and keep people of color out of certain localities. Like, I hope that we are violently attacking those things. And I, and I think that there is movement in the direction to attack those things. There was. Yeah, I I think, I I think that there are, there, there are, there's, there's a groundswell, right? There, there's a groundswell of, you know, even though many of those policies have not been adopted yet, there's discussion around them that I think hasn't always occurred. And I think that scares some people. I feel like it, it, it makes people feel like the America that they once knew, where white was normative, that that America is under attack. So I, I would prefer to say challenged. Um, and I guess I, I'm challenged by the notion that I think you would have to go really deeper. I think it's very surface to say, well, things are, you know, I feel like I'm under attack because these things that benefited me disproportionately and gave me what we would call white privilege over and above everybody else. So now there's people are challenging them, people are attacking them, people are dismantling them. And so somehow this thing that wasn't right wasn't just. Right. I'm, I'm pushing back because it's no longer benefiting me. So I'm kind of like, 
okay, but I'm not trying to be unsympathetic because I, if I could extend as much grace as I possibly can, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I have grace for that. Like yeah. the systems have been unjust. You're right. And the fact that we're trying to make them more just means that we're, we stop everything and... See, it's, it's for, me, for me, again, so there's a funny thing about normalcy, right? It makes you almost feel like things that are unjust really are just. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it always has been. Um, and this is what I've gotten accustomed to. That normalcy then bleeds over into entitlement. Not only is this normal, but this is, who, this is what I'm entitled to because this is the way it is and this is how we do things here, right? And that, that this is how we do things here is, uh, is under attack. I mean, I think, I think that's why there so, was such a blowback from the Barack Obama presidency. I think Barack Obama in his personhood was an attack on this is how we do things here. So then what happens is, it stops being a uh, uh, this is how we do things here to this is what I'm entitled to. And so now you're attacking me. You're attacking my way of life. Uh, Robert Jones wrote a, a, a great book, The End of White Christian America, which we've talked about a little bit on this show before. But his position in there is that the pushback that we're seeing is not personalized. It's not that I'm pushing back against you. Um, it's not that white Christian America is pushing it back against black Christian America, but it's pushing back against the trends that it's seeing in the country. That white Christians have been accustomed to being in the center of power, where every justice on the Supreme Court was a white Protestant male. And now there are no Protestants on the Supreme Court. When the, um, when the picture of Americana was kind of Norman Rockwell, and it was a family sitting around a table with uh, a white man at the head of the table and everybody's praying before the meal. And that's being changed and challenged. And so there is this kind of blowback and saying, you know, I want that again, which again gives residence to this notion of make America great again, right? When I say that whiteness is under attack, I guess what I'm suggesting is kind of that Norman Rockwellian vision of the U.S., which has been typically associated with whiteness, is under attack. And yet, um, so, so this, this is something that, I, you know, I've said before. Yeah. Um, I'm just challenged because we were never, and so I'm not white, so I'm saying yeah. we in the sense of as Christians, you know, are we Christian first or white first? And I think Jim Wallace has said that this last election proved that for especially white evangelicals, they were white before they were evangelical. There has to be a reckoning with your own self, you know, about who and how we um, identify. I think every Christian has to do this. Right. And in particular, and as in the context of what we're talking about, that white Christians certainly have to do it. You know, how do you identify yourself? Who gives you what gives you your identity? Identity, right. your esteem. Who, right. Like you know, and I think I've had to, I've had to, you know, have this this conversation myself because I think for African Americans as well, 
we have a, partic- a, a very particular way of coming to faith, right? right. Um, we, come out of, we come out of an understanding of God being a deliverer, right? And God, through suffering, through whatever we go through, God is there with us, right? And so when you're maybe no longer suffering in the same way, what does it then mean? Like, how do we identify who we are? And I identify myself as come as being a child of God, right? And so because of that, I have to challenge just as being a child of God, as being a believer in Christ, I have to challenge certain notions about wealth, about what I need and what I don't need, what I need and what I want, how I'm going to live, where I'm going to well, for me, where I'm going to work, you know, lots of different things. I'm going to need to engage that in a different way. I have, Calvin would say, a lens, a filter, whatever, however you define that. And I think we don't go to that level often of discipleship. We kind of, um, I think you said this uh, Sunday, like you, you're like, oh, I believe in Jesus. And that's kind of where you where the discussion ends, but there's a deeper level of discipleship that includes what is going on in the world around you and how you're identifying yourself in the world around you. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because what you're describing there talks speaks a lot to capacity, our ability to do it. Oh, that's um, a good there's point. a great there's a great line in actually the Brown versus Board of Education decision where the justice writes that um, that segregation in America did not just affect the Negro, but it affected white people as well, right? So, so all of us, I think, in this Amer- in this nation, are compromised because of the history that we're in, right? Uh, I've said before the example it wasn't just that you know black people were walking, had to walk off the sidewalk when a white person was coming the other direction, but that the white person got to walk on the sidewalk while the black person walked out of deference or fear or whatever it was that, that required them to walk off the sidewalk. Uh, and, and so when we talk about what gives us identity and what is it that we draw esteem from, I think it's a capacity issue. Like the ability to empathize, I, I think that that has to be the greatest character quality that we can find. Just the ability to just put ourselves in other people's shoes. I think it's difficult to do that when what's normal is that you're always the one that gets deferred to. Yeah, my dad used to talk about that. He yeah. grew up in Suffolk, Virginia, and yeah. how, um, with great resentment, by the way, that he had to yeah. walk yeah. on the other side of the street and and um, and what that meant for him, you know, as a young child have, seeing this. Like, why do I have to walk on the other side of the street? Um, and I think, you know, it's empathy and it's also humanity, right? It's seeing the humanity of other people. I want to challenge that. I don't want to sympathize with it. I want to challenge the notion that, well, I've always had people defer to me, and yeah. so why should I not have people? De- you know, if I were dealing with children, I would say, well, child, other people are right. just as important as right. you are. Right. Right. Um, and so I don't know how to coddle that in a yeah, way. I'm not, suggest- I'm not suggesting coddling it, but I am suggesting that we've got to understand it. Right, but it's, it, I it. think if we look at the, the pushback, though, of what we're seeing now, it seems to me, at least, that it's dangerous. 
Like the Make America Great Again resulted in Charlottesville and people saying, we don't have to wear robes. I mean, some people, I saw a few pictures of people with robes that just didn't have the mask on, you know, and the hoods with no mask, but certainly they were unmasked, right? But I guess one of the things that I, I, and I have to constantly remind myself of this, is that that's the minority, right? Like when you look at all the polls, when you look at all the polls, it's telling us that, you know, the support for Trump is waning, even among his base, that the majority of people support DACA, right? The majority of people, you know, support, you know, criminal justice reform. Like, it's really a minority of people who are supporting these these policies but but I do think you know so one perhaps th- a minority but a m- minority with a microphone or oh, a megaphone absolutely. that absolutely. is being blasted by the administration that's in in power right now right and so I wonder so I wonder and I got a bunch of questions right so uh-huh. I got a bunch of questions around these things but but sometimes I wonder so we're two black people you know talking about whiteness like, do we really understand whiteness? Do we understand it? Like, I, it would be interesting for me to listen to two white people talk about blackness. I probably would be sitting there and I would be saying, they don't know what they're talking about. Maybe I would be saying that. And so I wonder what, what white listeners are thinking about as they... Well, don't we know whiteness? I mean, I was in a conversation with a group. There's a group at a, an Episcopal church that mm-hmm. has been meeting and talking about whiteness and, yeah. and trying to kind of do their own work work around yeah. these issues and invited some African-Americans to be in conversation with them. And we're planning to um, do it again. But that issue came up and I was thinking, but I grew up understanding whiteness. You have to Like I'm it. in a system that understands whiteness. And I do understand privilege, certainly. So I think we do understand it. Yeah. So it's interesting for me. So I, as I wrestle with this question, you know, uh, Du Bois is kind of framework around the veil. Like he talks about uh, that black people live behind this veil where um, the culture prevents us from seeing us through our own eyes. But we're always seeing ourselves as filtered through kind of this white standard, right? right? Um, and, and But he says at the same time, he says the veil prevents us from seeing the whiteness on the other side of the veil with accuracy. Because of the ways things are, we tend to lump all white people into the same category and we can never really see them in their completeness and their fullness. And I wonder about that because sometimes I wonder if we ever really see what whiteness really is. And what I mean by that is I, I know I tend sometimes to lump people into categories. Quite frankly, it's hard not to. It's something that I, I resist. I, I try to resist as best as I can now. But because of the ways that, there, that we are polarized as people now, um, it's almost kind of like you're either with us or you're not. It's like it's, it's like you're us or them, like because we're fighting for. I feel like I'm fighting for my life every day, literally. When I'm driving down the street, you know, and I'm and I'm seeing stories after stories every day after people getting pulled over and shot on the street. When I when I pastor in a community of people that are literally signing children over to their pastors because they're afraid that they can be deported at any moment. Um, when I when I'm you know, looking at people who are, you know, who just because they can't afford to send their kids to the best private school are literally being funneled into, you know, dropout factories. Like, I feel like we're fighting for our life every day. So when you talk about, I don't have time to accommodate, 
you. I don't have time to be sympathetic about, you know, I feel the same way, right? But I, but I wonder if those same feelings compromise my ability to be objective when it comes to these issues of race. How, I, what does objectivity give you, though? What do you, what do you think you're getting well, from I that? Well, I think objectivity allows us to have a conversation that's authentic and that is, that is not colored. Because I think sometimes with subjectivity also comes inaccuracy, like, I charge you with some things. I charge you with some things that you may not need to own because of some baggage that I have, right? So objectivity allows us to sit at the table. It allows us to take our masks off and deal with what is real and true as opposed to dealing with our own baggage that we bring to the table. Well, I, I would say, you know, I do have some pretty, I think, real friendships with people who are white that I can have honest kind of conversations with that I care about that, you know, we have been to each other's homes, we're involved in each other's lives. And so I think um, that helps with that, not to have the kind of you're this, you're this, you're this, you know, because, and there have been times and they know this, that when some things happen and I have that that instinctive, um, or I shouldn't say, inst- that reflex to Absolutely. say, you know, a black, another black kid is killed unarmed yeah. or in some crazy situation. And I'm thinking white people do. And right. I, I have a reflex that Absolutely. also counters that reflex that says, well, so-and-so is not like that. Right. So, and I, I stop yeah. myself to go yeah. over the people yeah. and call them by yeah. name and see their faces yeah. because I know everybody is not like like that, yeah, right? Yeah. And that they're grieving like I'm grieving. And so I think that's important. I, I can't take off, though, that I'm the mother of an African-American teenager who, male teenager, um, I, I daughter too, I particularly worry about my son, though, yeah. because he goes with his friends to the basketball court in our mostly white neighborhood. And if he doesn't check in, I am in a panic. Yeah. And I try to talk myself off and, you know, people will say, well, do you have faith in God and God's got him covered? You know, there's some kids that have ended up dead that love um, Jesus. That love Jesus. Right. And so that is my reality. Yeah. My reality is that even though my son is good at math, I have to go into the school system and fight for him not to be in the slow math class, right. you know, more than I've wanted to because they just decide, oh, well, he'll just be, he'll be fine in the, but he was in the advanced class. Why is he now in the, you know, <laughs> the class, the two-year class? You know, it's just ridiculous. And so that we are fighting and... I can't apologize for not holding your hand through this sometimes because I'm fighting, you know, and I need you to do some of this work. I agree. And I think for me, one of the things that has made this so difficult for me in this season is the church's response. So in particular, the white evangelical church's response to all of this, because to some level, to some degree, I'm willing to give tolerance for people that don't know the Lord. Right. Right. But when we're all supposed to be reading from the same playbook and we come on such divergent perspectives as it relates to these issues around race and class and the current season that we find ourselves in, it's harder for me to not lump everybody in because I'm saying like, like y'all were supposed to be with me. Like I thought, like I I thought if anybody was going to be with me on this, it would be you. 
and then when I see so clearly that, that the reason why you're not with me is because you have made some choices that would suggest that you just think, you know, these issues are more important than my life, right? So, you know, you thought that the Supreme Court justice nomination was more important than my life, or that you thought that protecting unborn babies was more important than, than the life of me and my family. Like, I've got, like, some real challenges with that. And I'll tell you... I think more than anything, I think that has thrown me for the biggest loop in the last, you know, eight, nine months is the just that I thought we were on the same team. Like, right. I thought we were on the same team here. And clearly, we're, we're not. We're, we're not on the same team. And I'm not sure what to make of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been hard to, to say how could we possibly be reading the same yeah, thing? How yeah. could we be so far apart? How could we be even in agreement on some things about doctrine or about um, the movement of the spirit, whatever the case may be? And then we're in this world together and you just totally dismiss my humanity yeah. as being important yeah. enough for you not to support certain things. I mean, it has definitely been a challenging moment. It's been like, are we on the same team? You know, you're thinking, okay, are these Pharisees or... I think what it does is it, it confirms for us that these notions of privilege and supremacy are not external to the church. I mean, we've always known that. I mean, entire denominations have come out of the division that exists along racial lines in the church. And so to believe that somehow that because we all read the Bible, we have removed all of the things, all of the, 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 the biases that, that make us human, it's just not real. It's, right. it's not real. Right. And 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 I think though part of the other challenge is some of these people will not be corrected, right? Like that. Right. Well, some think it's biblical, the divisions. I mean, some 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 are you looking at me like Well, I'm looking at you like that because <laughs> I think that's foolishness. <laughs> think that's crazy what, what yeah Bible? right right what, because, right right um, well, I mean, well i think i think you know well one of the things is i think american christianity has done such a great job of bathing discrimination in biblical texts for so long yeah that there are a lot of people that are that are just compromised by that you know you have the curse of ham that was completely unbiblical you had for you know centuries you had people sending preachers to plantations to tell slaves to obey their masters you had during the civil rights era you had you know you you just you've always had people who would take the text change it around and use it to somehow support their own cultural biases. Right. Um, and so while it's ridiculous and foolish to us now to believe that there aren't people who would stand up today and preach that um, that God believes in separation of the races or that somehow uh, New Orleans or Haiti has been hit by a hurricane because God is judging those people for X, Y, and Z. But not judging but not Florida judging. and the Florida Keys. <laughs> Now I'm looking at you, right? <laughs> so, so it's, it's. I mean, I'm just saying. It, yeah, not, I mean, the just Florida, saying. the Florida Keys, where the rich people leave, that's right. not judgment. Or Mar-a-Lago, where or Mar uh, right. Trump's right. So, so the notion that that American Christianity is somehow, you know, not tainted by any of these these issues is just not real. But the 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 rebuke and the challenges, even some of those people who will 
that part of their issue supposedly with Obama was that they felt like he didn't support Israel, right? Yeah. But they will hear Jews will not replace us and not rebuke the people yeah. who are saying that, yeah. right? Yeah. Because what was that? Like, how could you possibly not have anything to say about that? How could you be silent on that? You know, and it's not, a, it's not enough in a moment like that to just say something privately, it's not right. enough. You right. got to come out right. and come out strong, right. and you didn't. Right. And so, you know, I don't know where that ends because that that is not okay. Yeah. Well, one of the things there's there even in the midst of some of my frustration, a lot of my frustration, some of my anger around some of these race issues, there have been points of just encouragement along the way. And, and, you know, some of them have been inflammatory, but they've been designed to challenge us to kind of think about these issues differently. And while, you know, people may not like my stuff publicly, while they may not respond publicly, I've gotten a lot of res- direct messages from some of my white friends that be like, look, you know, when you have said these things, it really has challenged me to ask the question, why am I not saying more? Why am I not doing more? Why am I not? And, and I've been wondering, okay, so now that you've been challenged, what are you doing? Right, like what, what right. tangible kind of um, uh, result is occurring from your being challenged? But the fact that I think it is stirring up in some of our white brothers and sisters an acknowledgement that I need to do more. Like I, yeah. I am on, I do have to pick a side. Like the reality is we have to pick a side. People are dying. And so, and so standing in the middle and being neutral is not an option. It is picking a side. Like if you're not right. doing something, you're picking a side. And I think that, that people are, are really beginning to embrace that a little bit. And so if there's anything that's good that's coming out of this Trump administration, as far as I'm concerned, it is that it is drawing a bright line. These issues of race and supremacy and privilege are no longer kind of this, you know, you got to squint your eyes to see it. Like it's out there. And so it either makes you uncomfortable or it doesn't. And if it makes you uncomfortable, then you've got to decide, you know, what am I going to do about it? Uh, And so he is a mirror. He's a mirror for all of us. Uh, The administration is a mirror for all of us. And I, and I think it's it's good that we're, we're being forced uh, to look into it. it I, I think I would say that's true, that it maybe not good, but regardless of whether it's good or yeah, not, yeah. that's where we are. Yeah. And it is, there's no... The, you can't be neutral on this. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, if I were to have a grace moment, which I try, you know, I yeah. try to do that, yeah. is to say it is hard to be courageous. It's hard to um, stand up to your family members. It's hard to stand up to other people uh, in your midst, if your friends and others who are in your spheres of influence and say, yeah, I don't believe that, or mm-hmm. that's not true, or right. have you ever considered this? Like, right. that's taking a huge risk. Right. And it's a hard place to be if you haven't been doing it, right? right? So right. I, I totally do get that. And sometimes it's just hard to do because who wants to not be liked? Right. And who wants to not right. be, you know, um, supported? And, and you, you know, that it's, our na- I think, a natural inclination to want to kind of have people behind you. Unfortunately, that's not where we are, you know, Nathan probably felt a little bit like, what's going to happen when I say this to David, but I've got to call David out on what he did. And so I think, you know, we just have to, you know, Esther and going to the king, Vashti, you know, she got totally um, silent, Mm -hmm. but 
that's who we're called to be. Right. You know, we're called to do that regardless of what the outcome is going to be, um, regardless of what the consequences might be for us, but to speak truth and to um, live that truth. And so it's hard. It's a rough time. Every single day there's something else. But one of the things that we don't think about as much that I want to just raise here too is we've had these hurricanes in, in Houston and in and, um, and Florida. And, you know, people, there's devastation everywhere. Stores are closed, whatever the case may be. And there was this side-by-side uh, -side two pictures of uh, some African Americans taking some food, right? And the captions like looting, about looting. And the uh, second picture is white people taking food and they're like, oh, people venture out desperate to find food and find it or whatever yeah. the case may be. And I think, you know, we've got a, the, all of those, the little aggressions, the little differences yeah. like yeah. that. If it's total devastation and you don't have any more food or water, there's nobody who says that those people didn't leave some cash at the store. Like, there's nothing that says, but you got to find food, right? And so to put ourselves, what would you do? How right. would you respond? Would you just die? Right. Would you just, you know, what would you actually do? Right. And I think that the the double standards of police, the double standards of education, the double standards of criminal justice, all of that is in our face. And we've got to do something right. and deal with it. Right. No, I think that's a that's a great place for us to end out. You had said that we have to know the truth and live it, right? Yeah. So we're we're all accountable for the things that we see, and and if we're believers, then we recognize that we'll all have to uh, give an account for that. And Lord have mercy yeah, on and us. And Lord have mercy on <laughs> yeah. us. And so, uh, and so that's our show. Uh, we're glad to have uh, shared with you. And um, and so as always, uh, you, if you have any thoughts, questions, please hit us up. Uh, just talk. J-U-S-T-A-L-K at gmail.com. We'll be uh, glad to get back to you. And until we uh, come together again, I'm Essentino Lewis. I'm Leslie Copeland, too. And it's always good to be with you. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. God bless. Just talk, just talk. Here we go. Just talk, just talk, just talk about it. Go tell somebody. Just talk, just talk.